0: Hey, good morning. Yeah, it's really great to be in the same space as everyone. Um, what was it 15 or 16 months ago when we? In fact, it was the day before I think we went into actual lockdown. Um, we had we'd had our last meeting at the hall, and uh, I was due to be speaking the following week. And we were at the staff meeting, and they said, "Oh no, we can't have a you know a meeting here because you know the rates are going up and blah blah blah." And I thought, great. I haven't got to speak. And then Rich said, No, we're going to do it on YouTube. You've got to speak. And I was like panicking, thinking, like, I can't do that. I can't speak to a camera. So I did the first meeting on uh, in lockdown, or just before lockdown, and I'm doing the first one. I don't know what the link is, but it just feels like it feels a bit weird. But anyway, as Rich said, we're looking at the last letter in Revelation, which is to the Laodicean. Church, um, you might need pen and paper, and I put pen and paper out, but I forgot that the children were going to be in, so you might just have to find them. there's some more there, whatever. We're going to try and have a bit of do it a little bit interactively, if, if we can. <laughs> if we can't, I'll just talk. So you don't need so. Um, I'd like someone else to read the passage. "Oh, brilliant. actually. Josephine, you've got, you've got it in your hand. Could you read it for me, please? <laughs> I forgot to organize that bit. Um, Can she do it on
1: that? (laughs) That was a false move, wasn't it? (laughs) Discreet. Sorry. Okay, Okay, no, pleasure. Revelations chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were, not, you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and, and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined in fire, so that you can become rich and white clothes to air, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and self to put your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love are rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they're with me. To the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches.
0: Thanks, Josephine. Brilliant, brilliantly done. Um, So, um, you probably remember that there were a group, seven churches in an area of what is now Turkey, um, and that um, John, the Apostle John, who'd lived and been with Jesus for for the three years that he was on earth, had a revelation of Jesus himself, um, which I think was probably quite mind-blowing, judging by his reaction. Um, And then um, Jesus asked him to write down a a letter to each of these seven churches, and this is the last church. Um, And at the start of each one of the seven letters, Jesus describes himself in a certain way to each church. And it tends to be that the way he describes himself is somehow linked to something in the church that he wants to highlight. Maybe a good thing, maybe not such a good thing. So, how does he describe himself to the Laodicean church? Three things. The amen, the faithful and true witness, and the ruler of creation. And the first two are to do with trustworthiness, truth, um, an ability to see things how they really are. Someone who doesn't embellish a story or who doesn't just tell you what you want to hear. Like if you were defending yourself in a court, you'd make sure you had a witness like that. You don't want like a, you know, a flaky liar or anything. So yeah, a truthful and faithful and true witness. Uh, and that will become of importance as, as we go through the letter. Um, and the third thing reminds you, I think it reminds me of Jesus' credentials and authority. He was there at the beginning, he rules over all and he owns everything. So that's, the, that's who's speaking. Okay. Now, before we dive into Revelation, I want to say a quick word about special measures, which is a phrase to strike fear into the heart of any teacher, I think. But um, I'm not talking about those kind of special measures. Jesus always uses a spiritual ruler to do his measuring It originates in the heart and the mind of his father and our father. And it uses a spiritual scale which is based on the written and spoken word of God. And it's really important to remember that. Measuring is actually just another word for judgment. We don't like that word very much. We don't talk about it very much. But that's what's happening here. When Jesus writes to all of these churches in Revelation, he is actually judging them. And I know we think that judgment is something that happens at the end of our lives. And it does But actually, it happens all the time. Jesus is the perfect judge. And because he's the perfect judge, he's faithful, he's true, he loves the church, he owns everything. We can rely on the truth of what he says and on his motives for saying it. Okay. Human beings, of course, make initial judgments based primarily on externals. Like attractiveness or intelligence or social acceptability, fame, number of followers, whatever. That's, that's kind of what we do. We're sort of hardwired to do it. And we've probably been brought up like that all our lives to do that. Um, our assessment of a situation is usually influenced either by what we can see or what we've been told or maybe from past experience. And there are times when it's reasonable to do that. I mean, if someone is on crutches, definitely hold the door open for them. Least that's okay to make that. But if we judge a person's character or draw conclusions about their motives, abilities, their future, using external appearances, that's wrong. And I mean, I've got plenty of examples in my own life, and I'm sure you can think of many. But. We won't go into that now. And just by the way, maybe because we tend to assess things based on externals, maybe we work pretty hard to make sure our own externals look good, perhaps even at the expense of what's going on in here, where it really matters and where God sees the truth. So before we look at the letter, I just want to highlight this serious and important principle. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a fail-safe tool to assess virtually everything whether it's natural, spiritual, serious or trivial, obscure, obvious, complex, simple, all of it. One size fits all, and the tool is the Word of God. Mm -hmm. I've got a blank page here. Mm -hmm. Um, And Michaela mentioned this last week, actually, in her talk, and she said everything should be measured up against the Word of God, and I love that. I really love that. That is like, you know, Alison talked about the kind of storms and and the, you know... The difficulties of life. The Word of God is reliable, it's truthful, it's steadfast, it's solid, it never changes. And you know, you can read it again and again, and on your 10th or 20th time, something that you've never ever seen before will just come and God will speak to you. And so I want us as a church to really value the Word of God. Externals are relevant, but if we stop there, we miss the privilege of cooperating with our Heavenly Father who knows exactly what is going on in the lives and the hearts of everyone and everything. Measuring things God's way will help us to get to the heart of the matter and will save us wasting our time trying to solve something which isn't even the problem. Really important. So, we need the special measure of the Word of God to help us be effective. I hope you got the message. It's what we should do in our own lives, and it's exactly what Jesus did with all the churches in the Revelation letters. He was measuring them up against God's original design for His church, judging their inner life as well as their outward activities, looking at what they tolerated as well as what they taught, noticing what they valued most and what they were prepared to let go of. He's judging us right now. Individuals, nations, churches. And he uses a reliable and true measure of God's written and spoken word, which is why we asked you as a church a while back (laughs) to help us to discern what is Jesus saying to EFCC. And thanks to those of you that, that have done that. And the Bible tells us, itself quite clearly that the Word of God is an effective and reliable tool for judging the thoughts and the attitudes of the hearts. That's in Hebrews. So we can be very confident of making good and wise judgments if we use the right measure. Okay, so before we go back to Revelation, any questions, comments? Anyone want to say anything about that? Everyone okay with that? Yep. Okay, good. Right, thinking back over the last six letters, can anyone remember the things that Jesus loved and hated about the churches? You can just shout it out or check in your Bible. So, go. <laughs> I'll start you off. Perseverance was one of them. Sexual
1: immorality. Yeah, he hated, yeah.
2: The practices of the Nicolaitans.
1: Oh, yeah, whoever they are
0: and whatever they did. Yeah, I think he didn't like those, did he? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, good one. Ephesians, I think that was, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you guys who did teaching, you should know because you yeah. actually prepared it. <laughs> Can you not even read it? Tolerating even? that woman. Okay. Oh, yeah, tolerating that woman, yeah. <laughs>
2: Good or bad? Either, either, we can work it Persevere out. It.
0: Perseverance, yeah, good,
2: yeah. Hard work.
0: Hard work, yeah. Listen. Listening, yeah. Doing more than you did at
2: the beginning?
0: Doing more than you did at first, yeah. Excellent, yes, very good. And well I'm Chris. So, yeah, i got a few. Corruption, yeah, yeah, good. Faithfulness. Yeah. Compromising. Mm-hmm. Not compromising. So I've got here what he loves. It's the summary of what you said perseverance, endurance, sacrifice for his sake at times when it isn't easy, intolerance of sin, faithfulness, we said that, sincerity, keeping his commands, valuing the truth, morally clean, repentance, keeping his word, etc. Mm. And what he hates doing things out of duty, losing sight of why we do things, lots of busyness but with wrong motives. Mm. <coughs> Gifted people who lead others astray by wrong teaching. I think that was Jezebel, wasn't it? I did. Not being true to God's word and com- words and commands. Giving the appearance of hell when really you're sick. <laughs> so in summary, you might say that Jesus loves those who are alive and well on the inside because what they do out of that has eternal value. It measures up very well against the word of God. Um, and how does he rate the church in Laodicea? It's interesting what does he commend in them? Because every other church, he commends something. In Laodicea, there is nothing, not one thing that he says that is good about them. I found that quite shocking, actually. Um, and the thing he hates is one thing only. He says, You are lukewarm. That's it. It's pretty major, though. <laughs> well, it must be. <laughs> because Jesus dislikes the lukewarm taste of the Laodicean church so much that it makes him want to spit them out. I think in some versions it says vomit. So I think we can conclude that being lukewarm is pretty bad. Um, And there are all kinds of ways you can create or end up with something that's lukewarm. Um, You could mix hot and cold. That may have been what happened. Get a bit compromised because you've got, you know... Um, Or the one I want to home in on is that where you start off with something that's originally hot or at a higher temperature, but it cools down, and what it does is it cools down to the same temperature as its surroundings. I asked Janice for two cups of hot water this morning. She probably thought I was a bit off it, really, but one of them is now lukewarm, because I've just left it, and I've done nothing with it, and it's now the same temperature. You can come and check if you want. um, Yeah, so um, because hot things will cool down, uh, they cool down to the temperature of their surroundings, unless you do something about it, like put it in a thermos or whatever. You know, you need to do something about it if you want to keep them hot. And hold that thought for a minute, okay? So we're going to have a quick history lesson from Dave (laughs) about the Laodicean church, if that's okay. Um, Oh, great, thank you.
3: Thank you. This is just a quick explanation of uh, what was going on in Laodicea. Laodicea was positioned at the crossroads of two major trade routes, and it became economically very prosperous. Quite a lot like many of today's European cities, well known as a center for finance and banking, textiles, clothing, and medical excellence. In fact, it was particularly famous for its eye ointment. All of these things brought in a lot of trade and, therefore, a lot of money. As was the city, so was the church. It became very much like its surroundings, very rich. Laodicea was a wealthy city and so was the Laodicean church. Presumably, many of the believers will have been involved in the finance, clothing or medical industry and will have benefited personally from the economic success of the city.
0: Okay, so just a very short background. So there they are, they're positioned in something and surrounding them is wealth and economic success and, you know, everyone came there and, oh, I want the ointment or whatever. So why did Jesus judge the Laodicean church to be lukewarm? Well, I believe he gives the answer in the first part of verse 17. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. Now, there's nothing wrong with being well-off. It's not wrong to have money or property. Many people and churches have learned how to do money and wealth really well. So that's not what Jesus is talking about. Having money doesn't make you lukewarm. But I I think the crucial phrase here is, I do not need a thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a certain amount of pride or self-sufficiency, something. Because by thinking of themselves as being protected or independent, you know, set up for life, whatever, because of their wealth, And because money can buy so much, achieve so much, help other people so much, somehow they lost their connection with Jesus. Jesus, I mean, the head of the church, they lost connection with him, the centre of it all. Mm. The whole reason that they were even there in the first place, they'd lost connection. They didn't even know it. Mm. And that's how they cooled down, I think. And he ended up having to knock on the door to be let back in. Mm. Um, They were badly deceived by their own measurement of what was worth having. Going back to the measuring again. They were comfortable, well off, well fed, their medical <laughs> needs were, well, were sorted and they did not need a thing. Now, let's be honest here, if we are using social and worldly standards of success, that's actually pretty good going. To be financially comfortable and not have to depend on anyone is probably everyone's goal in life. I mean, it does sound like an attractive thing, doesn't it? Being well off, not needing a thing. Let's face it, it's actually quite desirable. And quite probably the other residents in Laodicea will have admired the church and its activities. It was, by all accounts, a beautiful building and it was very active in the city. But remember what we just said, if we are followers of Jesus, everything has to be measured by the word of God. And God's economy is so different from our economy we learn that even listening to Jesus in the parables and the things that are important to him and it's so different so different material wealth and possessions are never a measure of spiritual success never and we as followers of Jesus must be very careful not to make the same mistake that we look at externals and start measuring spiritual success Because the church is not like other organisations in our world, not even charitable ones. The church is a spiritual thing. Read the rest of Revelation and that will become very clear. (laughs) The church consists only of people who have themselves become spiritual because of their connection with Jesus. Not buildings, not activities, not ministries. The church exists only to connect people to God the Father through Jesus His son. Now, making sure we do that is really important. And how we do it might be different for each church. And, of course, money is always useful to do those things. But our basic call is to make disciples, to connect people to God through Jesus. If we focus on anything else, if it becomes a deviation, we're stuck. The more we rely on what we can produce of ourselves, I have acquired wealth, I have become rich, the less we need to depend on God. It, to be truthful it is actually a much easier way of doing life if you can set yourself up so you've got everything you need actually it's easier but that is not the life God has for us it, it makes us wretched and poor as a believer which is how we describe the church churches often start out well and then get distracted or lost in the detail I, I reckon the Laodicean church did start off well um, if you read Paul's letter to the Colossians we haven't got time to do it now But um, there's strong evidence to suggest this, because he mentions Laodicea quite a lot, and I think uh, the church at Colossae was kind of a neighbour. Well, I mean, that might be in a day's walk, but anyway. Um, They were probably faithful to the word of God and clear in what their mission was, Um, and more people joined the church, and they became known for their faith. We don't exactly know what happened, but maybe as the church became filled with richer and richer people, it had this sort of cooling-down effect on their zeal, and their commitment to Christ. I mean, there's a whole lot of maybes, you know. Maybe they were making money and not disciples. Maybe they felt really proud of their wealth. Maybe they felt that having similar aims and priorities to the city around them would make it easier for others to join them. That's a common thing, isn't it? Well, we don't want to make it too difficult for people to come in, you know. Um, or maybe they thought it was easier to be a Christian if they weren't too different from other people. And I think part of the history that, that I, I didn't give to Dave to read out, there was a lot of emperor worship going on. And the, I think it was a bit sticky if you didn't worship the emperor and you were in danger of losing your property, your, your everything, you know, your head maybe. So it could have been. Who knows? Whatever the reason, somewhere along the way, their values changed and their material wealth and comfortable lifestyles fooled them into thinking they didn't need anything else. They had arrived at the successful church stop, whatever that is. They slid into a lukewarm life and then they got a letter. So, in the second part of the verse 17, we get to see why Jesus describes him as the faithful and true witness. He gives a faithful and true assessment of the Laodiceans. You do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Mm. That is a mm. shameful and terrible state to be in. Mm. And they didn't even know it took divine, the divine measuring stick to expose it. It must have been a terrible shock to them to hear how Jesus saw them. Like, I'd be really interested to know, did they do anything about it? I mean, I don't know. Like, did they... Did they respond? Did they? I, I do know when I was reading a little bit of the history, actually. And again, I didn't put this in, and I, I don't know how true this is. But in about about four hundred AD, so what? About three hundred years later, or something, um, they called a council at Laodicea, and. Um, they, they already had the Bible, they'd been a council of, what was it, something, where they decided what was going in the Bible. Council of Nicene? I don't know, something like that. Anyway, so they'd got the Bible, they decided what books were going in and whatever. They held a council at Laodicea, and there may have been other churches that came to it, and they decided to put a couple of books in. And they decided to leave out Revelation, which I just find really funny, because no wonder, because it didn't make them look very good, did it? So anyway, but that, I don't know how true that is, because websites, you know. So yeah, anyway, I'm really interested to know, but yeah, I don't know, maybe someone else knows. We'll we'll talk about it later. So, so much for the problem and its knock-on effects. What about the remedy? As always with Jesus, there is hope, a way through, and forgiveness. So... In the rest of the letter, Jesus has five recommendations. We're not going to be able to look at all of them, but you're going to do a bit of work in a minute. Buy gold, refined in the fire. Buy white clothes. Buy eye salve. Repent and open the door. Okay, those are the five things he tells them to do in order. So as I say, we can't go into it all in detail, but I thought it would be really good to have a break from my voice and for you to do a bit of thinking. So you can either do it by yourself or talk to other people near you. You can grab some, if you need more paper, it's there. Um, I want us to look at items one, two, and three refined gold, white clothes, and eye salve. And here are the couple of questions that I want you to think about. What do you think the three things represent? If you know anywhere in the Bible that refer to them, that'd be great. And if you want to, because I don't know the answer to this, to think about this, why do you think Jesus says, buy them from me? Mm. Like, why isn't it freely given? Like, that just, I'm a bit like, hmm, oh, I don't know. So. And if it is a case of buying, what does it cost? So, off you go, a few minutes. Okay. Right, any answers then? Uh, let's start with gold refined in the fire. Any thoughts on that? Don't worry if you haven't, I've got few. Shout out or, I don't know where one
2: Joe, if you need to refine me, I should come forth as gold.
0: Yeah, I've got that one. Anyone else? What, what do you think it represents? Faith. Anything else?
2: Being put in the crucible, it's like silver being, the word of God is like silver, which you've refined seven times, isn't That's right. So just asking, so it's like... Mm. The, the heat is turned up, and all the impurities come and to the surface. Rise to the top. There's yeah. this purifying. Yeah. And so that verse in Job speaks of purification through trials, mm. uh, through the difficult things. Yeah. And what happens in those trials it tends to be that actually all I got actually. I, I never said long ago that you know, we shine out in those times, and I think actually I know when I go in those don't. times, all the rubbish comes out, yeah. and I just and I seek myself first of all mm. what all that rubbish is—things I didn't even know, things that we didn't even know are in us. Yeah,
0: yeah, good. Um, and yeah. Then,
2: but when they come to the surface, then God can deal with it, then we can the give dross, them. The dross, I think it's called. It yeah. Us. Yeah.
0: Anyone else? Want to add to that one? Yeah, so refined gold mm-hmm. has been heated and treated, yes. and it, I think it's 99.5% pure. I think you can do it with chemicals these days, but that's how they used to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're right, there's, in Job it says, wisdom is better than refined gold. Mm-hmm. Psalm 12 says, the truth of the words of God are as gold refined seven times. I mean, that probably is 100% pure, isn't it, by then? Mm-hmm. Um, and peter says and i'm unfortunately i haven't got the reference but says mm. that our faith in jesus someone said faith is better than refined gold mm. so god measures us as genuinely rich if we have true faith mm. true wisdom hold on to his words i think the thing about the fire and the trials is also really important because mm. that is what brings the stuff to the top and if you remember Rob's picture a few years ago about what's in your glass, you know, when someone bangs into you and it, it goes all over people, it's the same as that, you know, all the, all the rubbish rises to the top. If we don't let God deal with it, actually, that is what will come out. We don't want that. We want God to deal with all that stuff that comes to the top. Um, so, yeah, no money, no cars, no Bitcoin, <laughs> no second, third and fourth homes, no boats, nothing like that. Wisdom, faith, the word of God holding on to his truth. Okay, this is my favourite one. White clothes. Have you got any?
1: Uh... I to say salvation. Like when you see like white, it represents like holiness, purity. Yep. Yeah. And so when you get saved, it's like you're clean. Yeah. You know, and God like purifies you, so you're able to wear. You know. So yeah, I just think yeah, it's like holiness. Yep. Good. You know, holiness. Luxury.
0: Salvation. Yeah, Mike.
2: Same thing, but it's in Revelation. it thousands and thousands yeah. of people in white robes. That's right. And said, These are those yeah. robes washed mm-hmm. in the blood of the Lamb.
0: Absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyone else?
2: Tony and Drew were saying that going uh, back to the, the, the garden where, it's where Adam and Eve were found naked, where originally they would have been clothed in light.
0: Oh, uh, right. But Excellent. God,
2: uh, yeah. But then God reclothes, God provides a, yeah. a covering, he's the yeah. same covering for yeah. Um and Drew was saying that the clothing comes after uh, or the clothing after losing their covering involves um, repentance. Mm. And that's part of the, the yep. buying would involve in that particular <clears throat> there is a cost in repentance. Mm. Because okay. Because you've got good. to give up yeah. the other things that you are holding on to. Yeah,
0: good, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, anyone else? So I I looked up white clothes and white linen and who gets to wear them Mm -hmm. in the Bible, all the way through the Bible, Mm -hmm. and I had a bit of a surprise. The only people who are specifically noted as wearing white clothes or white linen, you know, like it's a thing, Mm -hmm. angels and heavenly beings, Mm -hmm. other representative of God, don't ask me, like, you know, sometimes it says a man or whatever, God himself on his (coughs) throne, Jesus during the transfiguration, if you remember that story Mm -hmm. where they went up Mm -hmm. and then there were three of his disciples witnessed that, um, it actually says, I think, in Mark's gospel, something like uh, it, they, the clothes were whiter than anyone could ever bleach them, which I thought was quite cool. Uh, and the, uh, the overcomers in one of the churches who ever spoke on Sardis, I can't remember, that, it, that people who overcome get to walk with Jesus dressed in white and, yeah. it's what was said over here, us. Mm. In Revelation 7, there's a great multitude of people from every tribe, people and nation standing mm. before the throne of the Lamb. Can't count them. Too many of them, wearing white robes, holding palm branches. And the angel says to John, who, who do you think these are? And he says, I don't know, you tell me. It doesn't say quite like that. And they turn out to be all those who belong to Jesus, past, present and future, who have stayed faithful to him, received salvation, and have been permitted to wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb to make them white, as mine said. That's all, no medals, nothing else, just that. That's how you get white clothes, following him having our sin blotted out by his death and resurrection. Mm -hmm. And white clothes represent righteousness. Mm -hmm. And that is definitely something that can't be bought. You know, Mm -hmm. the Laodicean church may have had a lot of money, but you cannot buy righteousness. That's only Mm -hmm. given to you when you are connected to Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's ours by salvation, sharing in Jesus' righteousness, Mm -hmm. believing in God's word. So, I think uh, think it's important to think about it as the kingdom of God has its dress code. (laughs) <laughs> Excellent, that's what yes. Yeah. yeah, good. And it's really interesting, the examples that you just gave were not just what's going to happen in the future, but mm. what we shall do, but what we're really supposed to be wearing now. Yeah, that's right. And you can't not stand out in white. No. You know, what just she was saying, yeah. mm. and what I think um, <coughs> you just said, mm. if you're wearing white mm. and everybody else is in colour, mm. you have to stand out. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you have mm. to stand out. So mm. there are lot of indications there mm. in dress code that we're mm. supposed to be. Garden now, now. And yeah. not it's not for the future. Abs- absolutely right. Yeah, yes, absolutely right. And that's why Jesus counselled them: you need to get them, you know, buy them from me now. Mm-hmm. Um, and last of all, I salve, which I think is reasonably mm. obvious. But has anyone got any thoughts about I I think they actually needed surgery. But anyway, <laughs> I self is what he says. Yeah. So Drew uh, is
2: speaking about. Um, well, Drew and Tony were talking about the uh, the healing of the blind man called Simon, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Drew brought out how you know, Jesus spits on the on the ground mm-hmm. and makes mud, you know, with, with his saliva, and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and it's, it's the, the dust of the earth being mixed with the DNA of God.
0: Wow, I love it.
2: Creating, recreating, recreating the ability for him to see, so he can see things in you Perfect. Know, yeah. And as you know, we say that we've had the experience of I was blind, but yeah, now it's to yeah. relate to those words.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. Uh, there are several places in the Bible as well, which I won't go through, where mm-hmm. suddenly people got to see. I think one of the famous ones is Elisha was it, and his servant, mm-hmm. and he was panicking because they had enemies in front, and Elisha says, God show him him what's real, and then he saw all the angels that were on his side. And then the other one I really like, which isn't exactly seeing, but right at the end of Luke's gospel, on the road to Emmaus, and you've got the two guys walking along, and then Jesus falls in with them, and they don't recognise him, and then they invite him in for a meal. He breaks bread, and suddenly their eyes are opened. And that's that's the thing: seeing, not you know, not the externals, but what's going on inside. Um, so I'm go- I'm going to skip over verse 19 because much which talks about repentance and discipline, much as I would love to discuss the joy of discipline and repentance, because I think it's the key to a renewed mind and a transformed life. I can't do it in detail, okay? It's another sermon. You'll just have to believe me. Um, And verse 21 talks about overcomers, and I I haven't really got time to go into detail. Um, You can do that on your own. In fact, probably a good thing to do is go through all the letters, actually, and write down all the things that Jesus says that uh, overcomers get to do or have, I think it's really, really encouraging because it's us. That is us. That's what we get. Yeah. So I'm going to finish with verse 20, and it's a very well-known verse. Yeah. Here I am. Yeah. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And I've heard this verse used a lot, you know, when preaching the gospel and like when I was at university, at outreaches and things. Yeah. And, and it is, it, you know, it's good for individuals. But remember here, Jesus is preaching to a whole church okay he's using the principle of knocking on someone's door and seeing if they'll open it and inviting him for for a meal now the truth is that every single person in the Laodicean church would have needed to repent you you know you can do it as a church but it needs to happen as individuals as well but it's a bit like he's saying hello (laughs) I'm here I'm not there I'm not in your wealth or your possessions I'm here behind this door does anyone want to open this door that's what he's I feel like he's saying. And the Laodicean church has become focused on wealth. And it's like they've inadvertently put Jesus outside or in a cupboard or something. And they don't, it's like, oh, we don't need him. We'll just bring him out, you know, when, he's, when we need him. They can do their version of church just fine. And I don't think that they deliberately did that or deliberately forgot Jesus. I think, actually, it's fairly likely that the church building would have had you know, like verses of scriptures carved into the, to the stone walls and maybe they would have had paintings and statues to remind them of, of, the, of the gospel. And they probably almost certainly would have prayed and sung in Jesus' name and acknowledged him in everything they did. And yet Jesus judges them as luke, as lukewarm and that's to me is quite scary. And, it is, and it's a warning to us as well. Because if we allow other stuff, even Christian stuff, to distract us away from Jesus, our relationship with him will eventually cool down and it will become lukewarm. If we measure ourselves only using the standard of the world around us, we will become wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. And it's not that isn't just for church, that is for for me and for you as well as an individual. And, And I don't know about you, but for me, if I seem to be doing well on the outside, but But in reality, I'm wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I want to be fairly judged by the one who sees things faithfully and truly, even if it's embarrassing or public. I realise I'm saying something quite major here. But at the end of the day, I'd rather be humiliated by God now so that I stand a chance of being called a good and faithful servant at the end of my life, which says that in Matthew, then be hugely successful in this world, but only just escape by fire. I think it says that in Corinthians or one of the Corinthians on on Judgment Day. So, and I don't want us as a church to become distracted away from what we're here for and end up not intentionally, but putting Jesus in a cupboard, okay? don't think we're doing that, but I don't want us to do it. And then he's, you know, he has to knock to be heard. <laughs> he's the head of the church. He needs free access into everything we do. So I do want to say that I don't believe Jesus is judging EFCC as wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and, and naked. I don't think that we see ourselves, oh, we don't need anything. I think that we do aim and... and, and uh, try and put Jesus at the centre of, of everything we do. And we're definitely not in danger of becoming wealthy, so, you know, <laughs> no problem there. But I want us to value what Jesus values. And, and you know, there are a lot of things I've said today that we could home in on. Um, one thing I just want to go back to is the white clothes, because I think, as as Tony said, that is so encouraging, that there's no other way we get those white clothes. We get to wear those. We get to be seen and behave as righteous people. Well, it's another, another sermon again, but I, I want us to feel really encouraged by that. That is the truth of who we are. We are dressed in white clothes. No matter how wretched and pitiful you feel, you are dressed in white clothes. If you are connected to Jesus, if you have been born again, if, you, if your sins have been forgiven, you are, connect, you are dressed in white clothes. Um, but as we end, the two things I think are worth highlighting Out of everything I said, for us as a church and for us as individuals. The first one is, be sure that we measure things using the correct tool for the job. That means we have to get really friendly with the Bible, read it, listen to it, think it, study it, talk it through, wrestle with it if you have to. It's the most effective way we have to discern the true voice of God and what his spirit is saying to us. We've got to value it. We're so lucky in this country. We've got so many versions, such free access. We've got it on our phones, whatever. Uh, Yeah, don't... Yeah, please value it. (laughs) And I think if we do that, you might be actually okay with the second thing which I want to highlight, which is take time regularly to check our own temperature. Are we in the vomit zone? If we are, let's repent. (laughs) I nearly said Goldilocks, but I thought Bonnie was much better. Um, If we are, let's repent. Let's go back to Jesus and ask him, what do we need to hot up? Even though we don't always get who he is and why he does or doesn't do things, let's not settle for anything less than our uncorrupted, uncluttered and unending relationship with God. I stole that from Chris Blackman because I really liked it. (laughs) So, um, should we just have a couple of minutes, maybe, just let the Holy Spirit speak to us about anything, you know, and we just, and then we'll, yeah, we'll take it from there.